Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Tuesday, August 15th, 2017, and you know what that means. It's time to get nerdy, y'all. Welcome to episode 40 of Two Nerds in a Pod. I'm Mom, also known as Mr. Nice Guy. I got my comrade in gaming commentary, the miggity, 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 miggity Mac, also known as Maction here with me. Mac, let's jump right into this, man. It's episode number 40. It is. I can hardly believe we've made it this long and they haven't pulled our license for broadcasting. I know, man. We're 40% of the way to 100 episodes. Uh, How have things been, man? How was your week? Uh, My week was good. Lots of fun stuff. If I may share one particularly amusing anecdote. Yeah, please do. So, as you know, there's an eclipse coming up this, uh, this next week on Monday. Yep. And there's an event that's being uh, that's being done by a group that I'm affiliated with, uh, an astronomy education and outreach group that I'm affiliated with. And uh, during the course of it, we invited the local university to be a part of this particular thing. So, um, so it was a little bit interesting to me when I was contacted by the uh, 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 by the university. And they sent some promotional materials for us to share so that hopefully uh, people we knew would show up to this event. Um, and it listed it as being, you know, it listed like seven, eight different people as being involved in the event um, uh, and listed us under sponsors rather than the actual organizers the ones of who the were event. Putting, putting on the whole event. Yeah, right. yeah. So instead of us being the ones who put it on, and so I, I responded, I'm like, oh, well, um, oh, so I see that we're listed under sponsors. What's what's with this? We're, we're, you guys are along for our ride. They're like, oh, I wasn't aware. I thought we were running the event. It's just like, no, you haven't done... We reserved the venue. We, we, what, I mean, among just all of the things you could imagine. And then what was really hilarious about it is that in their promotional material that they, uh, uh, that they used for it, um, one of the images, or I mean, the main image that they used on their poster is guaranteed 100% uh, copyrighted. Um, and what, I know because I've what seen is it that? on What do you some, mean by that? I'm confused. It, oh, well, you're saying I, they I've used seen, a copyrighted image. Exactly. They used copyright image on this marketing information. And so and so for starters, I'm like, look, you messed this up. Is there any way we can get this? They're like, oh, well, we already sent all this out. Sorry, I didn't know you were doing anything for the event. It's just like, no, no, no. You misunderstood. It's you guys who aren't doing anything for the event aside from showing up. Um, and then I was like, hey, we might have a problem sharing this on our website and on our social media because... Uh, because I think this, I'm pretty sure this is a copyrighted image that's being used here. And the response was, oh no, I'm sure it's fine. It's just like, okay, well let me just double check, because it's in our bylaws not to open ourselves up to lawsuits. So, um, who exactly was it who put the thing together? And I'll just check with them if they know for sure that they have the rights to it. And the person was like, well, I'm the one who did it. And I'm like, oh, and you don't know for sure that you have the rights to use the image? That means you don't have the rights to use the image. And so uh, so I wake up er- er- earlier today, I wake up this morning, and they've got a completely redone, uh, redone poster. And it's got our logo on it as being, you know, as being one of the organizers. And it has a completely different image one that isn't uh, that isn't copyrighted. One that's you know public domain. 
And uh, yeah, it was just it was just entirely everything about it was wrong. And I, I for those of you who are design people, um, the poster had uh, three or four different colors. The text had three different colors, but the text was in three different colors. It used five different fonts all on a sort of one page poster thing. I mean, so everything about this was just like, oh, where to start with the problems? So that was a, a little a little fun thing. Dude, I hate when people just won't listen and just won't use common sense, man. Yeah. That frustrates me, man. I have that experience all the time. I will say, though, I have, like, no interesting stories to share this week. As we talked about off stream, <laughs> I am beat. And I apologize to our viewers. We're starting about an hour, 20 minutes later than we're supposed to this week. That's on me. I had some responsibilities that I needed to take care of. And, uh, and in case anyone wants to sponsor us, I'm drinking this delicious drink right now called Pog. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with Pog. Uh, I was reintroduced to it when I went back to Seattle because my parents are big fans. And it's basically pineapple orange guava juice. And Mac, I don't know if you ever played with Hawaiian milk caps when you were a kid. Did you guys have those Pog toys with the slammers in elementary oh, school? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, so... So the way that those originated is because there's a drink, and it's really popular in Hawaii. It's called Pog. It's the pineapple orange guava. And when you open up the cap of Pog, there's a Hawaiian milk cap on the top. And you rip that off, and then you can drink the juice. You know, just like how there's a seal mm. on any drink. Uh, mm -hmm. Someone turned it into a game. That's how Pogs originated. Guys, Pog is delicious. That's the point of my story. To the makers of Pog, if you ever want to sponsor a podcast, this is it. I will drink Pog on every podcast and uh, and promote you to our viewership. So I thought I'd throw that out there. Well, thank you everyone who's here for the live show. Uh, I have no funny stand-up stories to tell, although I did do three shows this past weekend. Uh, worked with some really, really funny comedians and had a blast. Pretty much it. Nothing crazy happened. It was very straightforward. Everyone was hilarious. Everyone was professional. So, Mac, I say we do what we do best, and we hop right into the news, my friend. What do you think? Absolutely. Mr. Nice Guy, what's been new this week in gaming? Dude, there's not a lot, man. That, like, I mean, a lot of stuff happened, but there's not a lot that interested me. So we'll have, mm -hmm. like, maybe three or four news stories, and then we'll just do some other stuff. Uh, awesome. Now, the one thing that, that happened today that was really interesting, and I'm not going to... Um, I'm not gonna gonna get uh, like an actual story, but I'm just gonna talk about it. Is Sonic Mania came out, <laughs> and uh, and I have not gotten to play it. See, someone, the, dude, our viewers are so in sync. Like he literally typed that in the chat right as I was saying Sonic Mania released. We're on the same mm -hmm. page, Pazzy160. Uh, Mac, have you gotten the chance to play Sonic Mania or watch any of it streamed yet? Any any I'm initial? I'm not taking the opportunity. Okay, do you think it's a game that you're gonna pick up or? Are, are you even a Sonic fan? I know you're a retro fan, generally speaking, but are you a Sonic fan? Um, yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, I enjoyed Sonic Sonic's 1 and 2 with a few levels accepted. Sonic 3 I didn't care much for, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'll probably play it at some point in time, but it's not very high on my list at this moment. It's not like if they released a new Mega Man where you'd be like, oh, I gotta get this day one. Well, they did release, just this last week, they released Mega Man Legacy Collection 2. They did, And yeah. that was Mega Man 7, 8, 9, and 10. 
Um, and uh, I actually watched somebody live stream that one of uh, one of the our our normal viewers, uh, Robo Ridley. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, streaming that, and he was playing. You know, he speedruns uh, Mega Man Nine, uh, and so he was playing the Mega Man Nine version on there. And he was not especially impressed with the fidelity of that game, which is a shame because the fidelity of the first Legacy Collection, which did Mega Man's 1 through 6, was really quite good. So uh, so he wasn't very impressed with that fidelity, and I had actually already purchased it, um, and it was sitting in my Steam library, but I hadn't yet downloaded it. And when I saw some of the frustration he was going through, I'm like, you know what? I've already got Mega Man's nine and ten on my on my Wii console. I'll just stick. With I was that. gonna say to me that wasn't. I mean, what did they add that made it worth a purchase other than having them in a collection? And really, that's only half of a collection. I have no you know, idea mm-hmm. why they did that. Yeah, basically, I think the big draw was being able to get Mega Man's nine and ten on your PC without having to do uh, fiddle around with the uh, Dolphin emulator. I think that's kind of the only real advantage to it, because uh, in a lot of the reviews that I've read on on Steam about uh, seven, the port of seven, ports of seven and eight, um, there's a lot of issues with them. So. Well, yeah, I mean, ports, it seems like they're more and more common. Additionally, we're getting a lot of games that are being um, revitalized, I guess would be the word. Games like mm-hmm. Sonic Mania um, that are bringing back the Sonic franchise. And I did see on Metacritic that it's the highest rated Sonic game in over 15 years with an 86 overall rating on Metacritic. Uh, it also, Is it not the only Sonic game in 15 years? No, there's been other Sonic games. There's been, like, the 3D ones. and Oh, yeah, and there's, like, Sonic 06, which is considered to be, like, the devil's spawn. There's been so, some Sonic blasphemy yeah. in the past few years. Yeah, there really has. So, um, anyway, congrats to those ma- who made Sonic Mania. Apparently, there's a few, uh, like, Easter eggs that are throwbacks to uh, some of the tough times that the franchise has had. But I won't spoil those for those of you who may want to find them on your own. Moving on. Uh, we got another story, and this is about Call of Duty. I'm not a big Call of Duty fan anymore, but I do feel like this year's Call of Duty has the potential to change that. So I want to briefly talk about this story. This is on GameSpot.com. It says, you can see a preview. Whoops. How about I don't start in the middle of the story, Mac? How about I start with the beginning? That yeah, would, sure. That would make way more sense. It says, <laughs> Call of Duty World War II's multiplayer beta launches later this month, and we now have a better idea of what to expect from it. The beta will feature the Point du Hoc, Adrenus, and Gibraltar maps. Developer Sledgehammer notes that there will be, quote, at least three multiplayer maps included, suggesting there could be uh, be added, excuse me, suggesting more could be added before the beta wraps up. Team Deathmatch, Domination, and Hardpoint will all be playable, as will War, the new mode that will help make World War II feel fresh. Uh, specifically, you might be able to check out Operation Breakout, described as, quote, the first war mode experience. Beta testers will also have the opportunity to experience divisions, which serve as the replacement for the Pick 10 customization system that Call of Duty games have been using for years. Alright, so, bottom line, guys, you can play that Call of Duty beta. It's going to be first on PlayStation, August 25th through 28th, and then I believe September 1st through 4th, it will be back in another beta that's open to everyone uh, on both PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Now, Mac, as a fan of playable demos, because every time we mm-hmm. talk about a game that you're thinking about crowdfunding, you say that that's your one rule. Uh, and I wanted to ask, do you feel like betas are kind of spoiling? I know you don't play console, but I mean, let, let's use the example of Chasm, 
you know mm-hmm. um do you feel like these betas or even these demos that come out so far in advance of a game releasing are spoiling the game you know stealing the game's thunder for when it finally does release mm-hmm. take your time Think about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Get your wagers mm-hmm. in. You know, honestly, I'm not sure. I go back and forth on that question, on the answer to that question, because sometimes I feel like, um, in the case of, for example, Chasm, which I've had alpha and beta access to for How years, long? exactly. Yeah, um, that. Uh, that there is some amount of uh, uh, there's some amount of novelty that the finished product won't have because I've had so much time with it. Yes, but I don't think it will decrease how much I've enjoyed it. It will just have extended how long I've enjoyed it for. So, uh, will it be novel so much? No, but I'll be pretty dang good at the controls when it's finally fully released. Now, someone in the chat, Pazzy, actually says, I have absolutely gotten my fill of certain games for free over a beta weekend. And that's kind of how I feel about it. And, you know, now that we're live and I'm on the spot, I'm going to forget the name of these games that I wanted to mention. Um, But what's the game that we went and we saw, we met the community manager? Um, H1Z1. Yeah, H1Z1 is a prime example um, of a game that has basically been in beta forever. And, I mean... Basically, they're, they're saying, hey, we're working on the game. Here's a, a partially finished version of it. Why don't you play it? Tell us what you think. In the meantime, we'll keep working on it. And uh, and then when it's done, then it'll be rele- quote-unquote released for real. And I don't know. I mean, with a game like that, there's not really a single-player story to spoil. With a game like Chasm, is that procedurally generated or is it... It is, it is procedurally generated. Okay. So with that game too, I mean, there's a certain level of replay value that you can get. Um, and I wouldn't say that the game is spoiled, but I do think like Pazzy's saying in the chat that you can get your fill of it. And like you said, it loses the novelty once it finally releases. And especially with a crowdfunded game, I personally would be frustrated if they released the alpha and then released beta. And then finally, once the game is done, then they say, hey, thanks for supporting us i know you played through the game while it was in its crappiest stage but thanks for playing through it so much that you're now bored of it and now we can give you the actual finished product to me that just doesn't make sense and maybe i'm being cynical uh but i I feel like maybe we should cut back on the betas and uh and just release the game when it comes out and if you're really that talented of a developer then the game will will sell and it'll do well and people will like it i don't i don't see any reason why a franchise that's as established as Call of Duty needs for there to be a multiplayer beta. They know how much stress is going to be on the servers when it comes out. They've been doing this for over a decade. I just don't understand the need for a playable beta. And I would love to hear a counter-argument from, from you, Mac, or from anyone in the chat who, who disagrees. Well, I think something that's that, from my perspective, is important is the reason why when we talk about crowdfunded games, when we talk about anything from smaller studios... I really want to see playable demos, particularly because that shows to me as a potential buyer, as a potential crowdfunder, that you've got your stuff together, that you are aware of the moving parts of game making, how they fit together, and can produce a product 
maybe under ideal circumstances you can produce a product that is pleasing. Um, with a lot of larger studios, with a lot of uh, studios that have um, th- that have other games under their belts, it's not quite as important to me for having access to the beta because, well, they're still alive. They've been doing it for X number of years. They know how to throw together a game. So I, I feel like I-, I feel like betas for the purposes of convincing us that the game is worth our money is nowhere near as necessary as it is for smaller game companies. And and I think, just to be clear, I think that they're doing it to build hype. I think they're saying, hey, we got a new Call of Duty game coming out. Last year was kind of a down year where it didn't do nearly... See, wow, Pazzy's on point. I literally just said that they're doing this to build hype. And mm-hmm. in the chat, he says they're doing it to get people excited. Wow, we're on... Dude, Pazzy, you should be uh, a guest on here sometime, man. You're, uh, you're on point with us. And we, we like to talk to people who disagree with us as well. But anyway, I think that like he said and like I was saying, they're not doing it to test the servers. They're really doing it to build hype. Uh, but build it in a different way. You're a billion-dollar company, uh, biggest franchise in all the gaming. There's no reason why they need a beta. And someone said the next point that I was going to talk about too. Uh, Polywalk, who I think it's your first time in here. Welcome to the, to the stream. Welcome to Tuners in a Pod, episode 40. He says, I think they use betas in COD as a way of balancing the new features and weapons for the multiplayer. And that's true, but I think, and I I really was going to get into this, I really think that they are going to be balancing the game for the whole year that it's the relevant Call of Duty. Because there will be constant nerfs, there will be constant updates, um, nerfing guns, making guns more powerful, increasing and decreasing the, the speed at which they shoot. That's not going to be something that comes out in a day one patch and then is left alone for the rest of the year. Uh, that's going to be something that is constant. And so I don't think that the beta will solve that problem. Um, it'll be solved as esports become uh, more, more, uh, more, not more relevant, but as the esports scene starts for this year's WW2, Call of Duty, and, uh, and whatnot. So anyway, we've talked about this. We beat this horse to death. Uh, we got a couple more news stories, and then we'll move on to our next segment. Let's see. We got, uh, man, there's really not a lot that I want to talk about. Mac, if I was to do, like, one more news story, you think Mm -hmm. we'd be good? Would you be cool with that? Well, yes, but if I may make a slight departure and uh, and engage on uh, something about esports. Yeah, man. Um, Ever since we did our last uh, did our last two nerds in a pod, um, we had talked a little bit about um, esports and its ever evolving and ever more legitimate, possibly, um, uh, you know, status. Especially what with the um, uh, the International Committee on Olympics or International Olympic Committee. That's yeah, the yeah, one yeah. IOC yeah, um, discussing esports. And here's something that's kind of stuck with me. Um, it was uh, became a topic of conversation as I was chatting about some of the show's, uh, uh, you know, news bits with some friends. But one of the things that is uh, somewhat notable is that esports is a sort of forever evolving situation. Sure. Going back to what you're talking about about constant balancing, constant changes. Um, I wonder if esports is not doomed to failure in the notion of being enshrined as an Olympic sport precisely because of that. 
Because while there may be some small and very small evolution in Olympic sports, um, that primarily comes in the form of Olympic gear, you know. Are speed skaters going to be permitted to wear full body, you know, uh, lycra um, to move faster? Um, is it going to be permitted this or, or that? But questions that are very much under the IOC's control. Uh, whereas something like esports, not only are we are they beholden to a specific uh, game uh, game maker, but also maybe potentially a specific version of the game that they have to maintain a game at for competitive play. And then at that point, once we take a game and we separate it from the normal evolution of its of, of the rest of the game, are we not just having a sort of small splinter group of people who are only practicing version 1.7.3 of Super Smash Brothers? Um, is that not only what's going to be practiced just by the people who are going out for Olympics? And then, of course, you know, I mean, the only reasonable solution seems to be for the IOC to make their own esports game. And then, you know, you wind up having a esports that really isn't all that esporty because it's just made by the IOC. Just just interesting thoughts I've been thinking about since our conversation. It'll be interesting to see, and that's a really good point. Now, as a small counter, um, there are some games that, that have esports uh, scenes that don't evolve that much. Uh, now, as far as games like Counter-Strike, for example, same maps, same guns. Um, people have been playing the game for over a decade, and, uh, and I mean, it hasn't had a lot of updates in the way of making the game different. It's, it's more like, hey, let's try this map as a team. Let's work on it. Let's come up with our strategy. Um, you're right, though. With annual releases, you know, your Call of Duties or even a game like League of Legends where they're constantly releasing new heroes or a game like Hearthstone where new cards are coming out, you're right. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard for there to be consistency. Uh, but I feel like for some games it, it could work, and so we'll have to see what happens. But I think that's a great point of, of conversation. Um, with, with running in the Olympics, for example, you know how far you're running. Um, mm -hmm. No one's ever going to say, hey, this year we're going to have you walk on your hands, you know, mm -hmm. so you don't have to deal with that. So it'll be interesting to see what the IOC comes up with. Uh, now, we have a few more stories, but, Mac, they're honestly all kind. None of them are really fascinating to me. I'm going to let you pick the last news story, and then we'll move Ooh, on. I love it when I get to pick. So we got uh, we got Star Wars Battlefront 2. We got Destiny 2. Um, or we have Telltale Game. Well, I'm going to use the Force here and go for the Star Wars Battlefront 2 story. Awesome. And this is a good story that actually I think will uh, will interest our viewers. This is on Game Rant. It says, After its debut at E3 2017, Star Wars Battlefront 2 is vying to be the definitive experience that fans expected to see with its predecessor. EA is pulling out all the stops this time around, finally adding to the highly requested single-player story campaign centered around an Imperial Spec Op unit known as Inferno Squad. Along with a story campaign, a deeper and more customizable multiplayer experience may make Star Wars Battlefront 2 Battlefront 2 EA's most ambitious title to date. Uh, I'm not even going to read the whole article, but there's a few there's a few things here uh, that we can discuss. 
and the main one is ambition in games. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and state my opinion on on this this whole concept, and then Mac, if you have something you want to say, uh, you can you can get in, or if we want to be done, we can do that. So here's my thing: I don't need a game to be ambitious. I need a game to be polished. I need it to have replay, and I just need it to be well made. I just want a good polished experience. Um, whether that's single player or multiplayer or a combination of both, I don't need a ton of ambition. No Man's Sky was ambitious. Uh, Destiny claimed it was going to be ambitious and ended up not being ambitious. In fact, if you guys in the chat want to let us go, other let us know other games that were supposed to be ambitious that ended up not working. I would love to see those in the chat. Um, I feel like more often than not, when a developer tries to do something ambitious it ends up being a disappointment because they always overpromise and underdeliver. Now, of course, for games to evolve, people have to try new things, but EA has made a ton of really, really ambitious games that have been successful. Uh, think of think of Battlefield. Those are very ambitious games. You know, destructible environments, um, you know, large scale maps with, with you know, dozens of players. Uh, so, I don't know. I don't need Star Wars Battlefront 2 to be an ambitious game. I just need it to be a well-polished game with a lot of replayability. Uh, that's my opinion on the whole issue of ambitious games. Uh, Mac, you got anything, or uh, should, we, should we move on? You know, I think we can move on. Um, a couple of people in the chat have mentioned other ambitious game, Goddess, which was supposed to be this you know thing where you could by the makers of beyond good and evil who could do large things you could destroy things you could really just basically be the god of this uh, of this digital world and it really did not deliver on its promises but yeah i think a lot of us i mean we all feel the pain of those times when we were looking forward to a title for what it promised but it just didn't deliver I feel in a lot of ways like uh, like Fable um, wound up going that and going that route. Uh, Fable was a good game, but it made big, big promises and didn't quite deliver. Especially on the, uh, I felt like it really didn't deliver on uh, on the way that it tried to, that the marketing presented it as being able to be full of moral decisions. It mostly just wound up being a did you kick children and dogs or did you not type of a thing <laughs> that that was kind of how the how it how the morality decisions in that game went which was disappointing yeah. but uh, that's all i've got to say on that all right well guys that has been our news for the week mac i'll let you take it away with our next segment all right so this next segment is a little something we like to call gaming history we've taken a look at uh, the world gaming world around us and now we'll look into the past now in this past week, that is, you know, August 15th, uh, or from August 8th to August 15th in years past, we have been treated to some absolutely fantastic, amazing, just gaming developments. Um, in stark contrast to some weeks where, you know, where we're kind of digging a little bit deep, this time, you know, we don't have the time to go through all of these. And now that I've spent a full 45 seconds of our time talking about how we don't have the time, <laughs> I will now actually talk about them. The Sega Genesis 
released in 1989, and the Super Nintendo, released in 1991. Now, for whatever reason, maybe because I wasn't paying much attention at the time, um, I didn't think that Sega Genesis, that the Sega Genesis had that much of a lead on the Super Nintendo. In my mind, they were always neck and neck competing, you know, release date right at the same time. In my mind, I remember Genesis does what Nintendon't. Um, I remember those kinds of advertisements. Uh, those things going on, and it seemed very much like they were neck and neck, that they seemed to have been released even on the same day, in my mind, from the way that the uh, the marketing material was. But in fact, not. Sega Genesis had a two-year lead on the Super Nintendo. Now, of course, we all know that when we're talking about Sega and or the Genesis and the Super Nintendo in the same breath, we have to mention about this console war here, that it was the Super Nintendo that prevailed. After all, the Super Nintendo did sell 41.9 million units in its lifespan, Whoa. whereas the Genesis uh, weighed in at, uh, at 29 million units. So it certainly did win, but even with a two-year thing, which, let's be fair, Remember that the Sega Master System was released as a direct competitor to the Nintendo Entertainment System, and it did nowhere near as well. So even though Sega did lose, this really was kind of a kind of a big step forward for Sega. Um, I mean, we can't say that about all of their consoles, but certainly about this one, it was it was a good thing and a very successful advertising campaigns that they did. But we had the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis um, launch titles for both. We had uh, Altered Beast um, for the Sega Genesis. I believe we also had the first Vector Man for the Sega Genesis. That was fantastic. Um, oh, really was. Uh, and for, of course, the Super Nintendo, we had not only uh, Super, Mario, uh, Super Mario World as well as F-Zero. Uh, two frightfully good games in their own right but uh but yeah that's just a little bit of the gaming news and if you can believe it it was middle of august in uh 1998 and 1991 we saw the birth of i i really feel like genesis versus super nintendo was the birth of console wars as we know it now granted consoles were only born a generation before but that really kind of set the tone. Genesis does what Nintendo, and I don't think we've ever reached in advertising quite the same fever pitch between uh, uh, between consoles as we did then. I mean, Mr. Nice Guy, can you think of any console um, commercials that have really, really tried harping that hard as Genesis does what Nintendo? Yeah, I actually can. There was one recently. And it was not a commercial, but it was actually maybe it was. It was I saw it on YouTube, uh, and it was talking about trying, how you share games on your PlayStation Four, because mm. at the time Microsoft was thinking about with the Xbox One making it so you couldn't uh, share your your discs. So in other words, they were going to set it up so that once you put a disc into your Xbox, that game was tied to your Xbox. And you could not let your friends borrow it because it would not work on a different console. And so Sony came back at him with this commercial 
that said, here's how you share a game on your PlayStation 4. And it just had one guy holding a game and he just handed it to the other guy. And then they just like nodded at each other. It was very, very funny. I can't do it justice just by explaining it. But it actually resulted in Microsoft going back and changing that um, that policy where they were going to make it impossible to share games between consoles. So that's the only thing I can think of that, that really uh, is even close. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, very fair, very fair. But, uh, but yeah, because I know that one too. Um, and I have seen that, but yeah. But I still don't think that hits the same levels, but that's just me. Either way, that's been a little bit of gaming history for you. Uh, sometimes the past really does inform the future, and sometimes it's just kind of fun to think about and look back at some of the crazy stuff that's gone on in the past. Absolutely. Cool. Well, should we move on to our next segment? Absolutely. Sweet. So our next segment is the viewer question of the week. We we a segment where you guys ask us a question and we answer it. And we do it every week. Uh, this week's question comes from Galvatron, who is not here in the chat for the first time. I'm going to call 911 because I think there might be a problem. He's always here every week. Uh, so I'm wondering if he's okay. Um, but no, in all seriousness, he says for tonight, microtransactions in single-player games. Yay or nay, Shadow of War. Now, to add some background to this, I don't, I don't know what Shadow of War is, uh, but... Typically, Mac and I have discussed microtransactions uh, in multiplayer games and the premise of pay to win. So this is kind of a different spin on the question that he's bringing us. He wants to know our thoughts on microtransactions in single player games. Mac, do you want to field this one first? No, I'd like you to field it. Okay, sounds good. Um, and it's a tough one because I can't think of a game that I've really been into other than, actually, no, it's not a single-player game. <laughs> I almost said Hearthstone, but that's definitely a multiplayer game. Um, man. I'm going to say that I'm against them just because I feel like if it's a single-player game that requires or microtransactions, then it's the type of game that requires you to really grind and if it's that type of game, then they should make it a fun enough grind that you don't want to spend money to bypass that grinding, right? Because mm -hmm. if, if it's just a 15 or 20 hour or even like up to a 40 hour experience, um, just play the game. You know what I mean? But if this is a single player game that you can put hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours into, then you shouldn't want to pay to bypass the grind. The grind should be fun enough to make you want to get the additional, you know, swords or or armor or, or currency uh, rather than paying for it. So I'm against it. I hope I said that in a way that people understood. Mac, what do you think? You know, the only time I've really been a fan, because, I mean, coming from mobile games and a lot of mobile game reviews that I've done in the past, I've always been a big, big opponent of microtransactions. I don't like them, and very often I would completely avoid any game that had them. Uh, the only type of transaction that I really uh, would go for would be the types that would allow you to maybe not necessarily avoid the grind, but decrease the grind by, like, doubling whatever your widgets were. Um, so anything that 
I have to continually purchase in a game, whether mobile, whether console, whether PC, um, I am against just on just on principle. I feel I figure I'm I just want to pay for the game, play the game, and enjoy the game. I don't want to be a whale. Um, that's the term for the people uh, who wind up buying lots and lots of microtransactions. If you read any or watch any of the uh, of the things that people who make games with uh, that are uh, pay to play that they do with that sort of thing, they do call those particular customers whales. So, yeah. Someone in the chat just brought up the example of Dead Space 3, which I skipped. I only played the first Dead Space game. And they say, I remember Dead Space 3's single-player campaign had microtransaction to, quote, help you build weapons faster. That's what Anxiety said in the chat. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then someone else agreed with him, Kane, and said Dead Space 3 is what started my EA boycott. Um, uh, Dead Space 3... Now, in playing the first game, I thought that those games were around, like, a 40 you know, 30 to 40 hour experience, maybe even less if you're running through it quickly. So once again, I just don't get the point of building anything faster in a game that short. I mean, you pay $60 for a game. Why would you pay more to make a short game shorter? That just doesn't make sense to me. And short is all relative. Like a 40 game, 40 hour game is a long experience, but it's not like a Skyrim where, you know, you might get frustrated after a while and say, geez, I just need to get this sword um, or I just need to get healed of this curse, you know, and I'm going to pay money to do it. Uh, I, I just don't understand the premise of paying microtransactional money in, in a single-player game that's so short. But that's just me. Um, and, uh, Mac, did you have anything else to say on this topic? Or No, not really. I think that's all I've all right, got guys, for That it. has been our viewer question of the week. Submit those questions before the show to us at Two Nerds in a Pod on Twitter or to our Gmail account, Two Nerds in a Podcast at gmail.com. Mac, I'll turn it over to you. All right, so the next segment we have is a little thing we like to call Kick or Kickstart, and this involves a little bit of uh, involvement from those of you who are here. What I'll do is I'll put a link in the chat for those of you who are here for the live showing. You can check that out, and I'll talk a little bit about it. Mr. Nice Guy and I will banter back and forth about the virtues and the vices of such a project, and then at the end we will give our determination whether we think this should be kickstarted, it's worthy of our money, or it should be kicked. Kicked out of here, kicked to the curb, kicked wherever, but not into our hearts and our wallets. So, here come here it comes. It is called the Next Gen si- Nintendo 64 controller. Oh, I saw this. Yes, as a matter of fact, I saw this just, you know, just after is the I think it was the next day after we did our last uh, Two Nerds in a Pod episode. And uh, I was like, oh, I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. But I knew it was already going to blow past its funding goal by the time uh, uh, by the time we, you know, talked about it tonight, which it has. Um, they were looking for $13,000 to make a run. They are at 10 times that amount with, uh, with uh, 113000 So not quite 10 times, but, you know, they're getting pretty close. So uh, the idea is it's a remake of the Nintendo 64 controller that gets rid of the three-pronged design and instead puts it into a form factor that's a bit more familiar and, for a lot of us, a bit more enjoyable to use. Double Z buttons on the back um, and with a spot to plug in your rumble pack or your memory card 
in there. So um, I have to admit, as I've recently gotten my uh, Nintendo 64 and my EverDrive for my 64, I've been on the lookout for uh, some good, you know, uh, some good Nintendo 64 controllers that are that are nice and pleasant. And I do just want to point out, if if you t- have the opportunity, um, Google Hori N64 controller, because this controller is considered to be basically the pin- the best of the Nintendo 64 controllers. It's very rare. Um, you can buy them for, you know, maybe $60, $80 on, uh, on eBay um, used, uh, but they are excellent controllers. They are considered to be the best of the best, and you'll notice that the layout is not identical, but not at all, pretty yeah. close, but pretty close in that they've got the... They've got the uh, analog stick to the far left, the C buttons to the far right, and then you move in toward the middle and you've got buttons and the and the D-pad. But you're getting much closer to that in this form factor than you are with others. So for those of us who've been eyeing, who've been eyeing a, um, uh, who've been eyeing a nin- replacement Nintendo 64 controller and kind of want that Hori pad, but can't justify shelling out the $80 for one, hey, $20. That'll do the trick. So, um, I think I've already shown my bias here and that I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be definitely, for my part, going for the kickstart on this one. But this isn't the first controller that they've done. Um, they sell one currently through various, uh, very reputable sellers like ThinkGeek, Amazon, and such, of a, uh, Nintendo, an NES controller that's you know, that I'm not exactly sold on. It has a very similar form factor, but it has extra joysticks and buttons, which I'm just not really a big fan of in that Nintendo controller. But apparently they've got, you know, enough reputation and they've done a good enough job that they can sell it through very reputable sellers, um, that, that NES controller. So it's not the first time that they've made their own controller, uh, which gives me great hope for this actually going through. And their NES controller had both uh, functionality to plug into your NES console as well as to plug USB. Same controller, just kind of had a pigtail and uh, had one NES and one USB port. Now, this one does not have the same, but then again, I'm going to be playing it on my console anyway, so I'm not too concerned about having... USB functionality, but that is something that they specifically address in not having a USB for their uh, uh, for this first run of controllers. But uh, but there we go. So there's there's what we're looking at. Um, I certainly think it's worth uh, it's worth kickstarting. But uh, but I, I turn it to you, Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah, what I do you think? Here's the thing that confuses me. This actually that the mm-hmm. layout of the controller is different than the N64. Because yes. the, the, yeah, so the analog stick was actually in the middle of the controller mm-hmm. on the N64, and then I believe the trigger was on, yep, you have yep. one right there. So the mm-hmm. trigger the is just the in the middle on the back, mm-hmm. which it gave you a feeling like you were shooting a gun, mm-hmm. you know, when you were playing games like GoldenEye. And to me, that was part of what made the N64 controller one of the best design controllers of all time. This is much more like a pro controller or even like a GameCube controller than it is like an mm-hmm. N64 controller. Uh, I mean, they've added additional buttons, and the layout is not even close to being true. 
to N64. So I guess I just don't understand why they're even attributing this to... Why they're, why they're even making a comparison to the N64 controller because this is so vastly different. Uh, now, just so I'm clear, Mac, this connects mm -hmm. directly to the N64, right? Yes. And cannot connect yep. to anything else without an adapter. Correct. Correct. Okay. So, I mean, it I still have an N64. Uh, mm -hmm. It's been years since the last time I had any desire to fire up my N64. And maybe that's because of the very lackluster controller for the Nintendo 64, Mr. Nice Guy. Have you thought about that? No, I haven't, because as I just said, the N64 controller, in my mind, is one of the best-designed controllers of all time. Rose-colored glasses, you go back, and you will find that it is horrible. Horrible! What's horrible about it? It's everything! I mean, look, there's three... Holding it in three, two, three different ways... Well, here's I mean, the, nope, here's I the just, thing. I that's just, that's, uh, that's versatility. That's versatility. Versatility. Versatility, yes. That's what you want in a controller. Versatility. Bah! Humbug. Mr. Nice Guy, I'm going to get my hands on one of these, and the next time you come to visit, we'll give it a shot, and I will give you the opportunity to try it out and make the deliberation then. Now, I... I am a very big fan of this, and in my own way, I have emulated games on my computer um, from the Nintendo 64 and used a controller like this, like a conventional controller that we're used to from, you know, from the past 20 years, or sorry, 10 years of, uh, of video gaming, and I definitely feel like it's much more in keeping with, uh, with what the kind of controller experience I want now. Um, as opposed to what I wanted then when I didn't know any better and there was an analog stick and that was cool because it was cool to have something different than a D-pad. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm going to say kick and mostly because I'm not firing up my N64 nearly enough to justify mm -hmm. this. Okay. And additionally, because if I did want to fire up my N64, I could easily go find some N64 controllers for less than $20. Mm -hmm. Now, that said, the one thing I hated about the N64 controller was the lack of durability, particularly with the analog stick. Uh, mm -hmm. If you ever pick up an N64 controller that's been used very roughly uh, or just very frequently, you'll notice the analog stick is loose, right? And it's mm -hmm. lost some of its sensitivity. So, to me, that was always a frustration, and, uh, and that's one thing about this new one that could be a benefit is not having to deal with that. So, my vote is kick, uh, but that's just me. Yeah, and I say kickstart, and to your point about the uh, joystick, I certainly replaced my analog stick with a GameCube-style one on that blue Nintendo 64 controller that I was holding up a bit ago, because, yeah, the old ones, just even in good condition, were still not as good as they ought, as they, as they ought to be to play through the games now. But yeah, so I say kickstart, Mr. Nice Guy says kick, uh, give us your deliberations in the chat, kick or kickstart. And uh, while you guys are getting caught up, we'll go ahead and move on to the next little segment, which, uh, Mr. Nice Guy, I think it's your favorite, isn't it? It is, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. It's time for the main event. It's time for the Dummy of the Week. Week, week, week. A segment of the show where we talk about someone who did something stupid, idiotic, or downright dumb, and I make fun of them. This week's story comes from Kotaku.com. Uh, and it says, actually, just to be clear, comes from Kotaku.com, AU. 
Uh, it says six people from Santa Clara, California have been arrested and charged with selling arcade cabinets full of quote counterfeit games, which are alleged to have been, which they are alleged to have been profiting off to live like rock stars. As the San Francisco Chronicle reports, a woman, her son, ex-husband, and three others were arrested on Thursday, accused of forging and selling arcade cabinets that, quote, played classics such as Galaga, Tank Battalion, and five different versions of Pac-Man. So, just so you guys know, if you're ever going to make an arcade and, uh, and sell illegal games on it, don't include five versions of Pac-Man. No more than three. This is a rule of thumb. I thought this was common knowledge. Uh, if you have too many versions of Pac-Man, you're down to go. You're bound to go down. Additionally, why is this lady going into business with her ex-husband? Doesn't make any sense to me. Once you get maybe they parted on good terms, Mister Nice Guy. Not everybody hates each other when they get out of a relationship. No, I, get I think I'm. I think I'm friends with like five of my ex-girlfriends. I'm telling your wife, bro. I'm telling your wife. She knows. We were there together. She laughed. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'd imagine that that dividing up the funds would get tricky when you're if you went into business with your ex. That's all I'm saying. I'd imagine that. Uh, okay. So anyway, the story goes on to say those games are all from Namco Bandai, who, as the Mercury News points out, also have their American offices in Santa Clara. So tip number two. If you're going to use a company's games illegally, don't start your business in the same city as the company that you're stealing from. That just makes it so much easier for them to find out. That'd be like, Mac, if I stole your TV and then moved in next door to you and watched your TV with the blinds open all the time as you're walking past. That's what that's like, right? I think that's idiotic. That's just me. Uh, It goes on to say... The six accused had been operating a company called CoinOp Store, selling cabinets containing between 60 and 3,000 counterfeit games preloaded onto them. Prosecutors say the six had been charged with a total of 14 counts of felony counterfeiting. They're also saying that in addition to possible fines and prison time, there's a maximum sentence of 11 years, the money the accused made from selling the machines and the stuff they bought with it might be seized as well. Now here's where it gets crazy. That list includes stuff like... $1.2 $1.2 million in cash, a 22, uh, excuse me, a 2012 Mercedes-Benz, a 2015 BMW, and five properties. Um, so additionally, if you're going to run a business like this, don't live so frivolously. That, that just draws attention to you. I bet Namco Bandai was mad, and they were happy to eat them up just like Pac-Man and take all that money once they discovered all this theft that was going on. Guys, that has been our Dummy of the Week. Mac, I'll turn it back over to you. <laughs> All right. So uh, this last little bit is a fun thing we call legalese, where uh, we talk a little bit about some of the lawsuits, some of the law passings, some of the everything that goes on legally adjacent that could impact or does impact us and our um, and the way that we consume video games. Well, this one is a little bit is a little bit interesting. So, as we know, Disney uh, has won our hearts with their very good treatment of the Star Wars franchise. However, 
There is a darker side to Disney, or at least if you believe a certain San Francisco mom who filed a class action lawsuit accusing Disney and three of their software developers of violating the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. What? The claim is that Disney has been collecting personal information on kids under 13 and selling the data to advertisers, something that is expressly forbidden by the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. So this is very much a suit in development. What's what's the name of the act again? Um, gosh. Why did you have to ask me that? Because it's a tongue uh, twister and I'm trolling. It is. I apologize. It is. Thank you for trolling me, Mr. Nice Guy. But no, so this is a serious allegation. So basically, there are laws in place in the United States to try and protect children from, uh, from you know, from basically online online predators. Um, and not just the type that uh, we're primarily worried about with the very unsavvy stuff, but also being unfairly and uh, and terribly uh, uh, targeted by advertisement and, and things like that. Um, so so this is this is a very serious allegation because it could have really, really, really harsh uh, ramifications on Disney and their software developers if it can be shown in court that this is uh, that this is uh, that this is serious. That this is actually going on. Um, now, here's where it's going to get interesting, because if there and, and I mean we all have apps on our smartphones that gather some information about us, whether we're talking location data, right? That uh, that your maps program is gathering on you. Or if you're playing Pokemon Go, you are absolutely getting that, and your camera, and and anytime you're curious about what kinds of uh, what kinds of da- data is being is being uh, gathered up by any of the various applications that you may have on your phone, and I can't speak to uh, to iOS users, but at least for Android users, you can go to the applications individually and look up their uh, you can look up their uh, their permissions, which will specifically tell you what things they have access to. Sometimes it'll be things like your identity, which means uh, your email address, possibly your phone number, things like that. Um, others might have access to your uh, to the ability to um, take or store photos on your phone itself. Now, in some cases, that may or may not be more than just, oh, it has images that it stores on your phone that it calls up from time to time. Um, and not so much maybe trolling through your cam- your camera or your gallery, but that is always a possibility. If uh, well, Anyway, point being is that these protections uh, are there to protect ch- children. Gosh, well, I'm I'm struggling this evening, Mr. Nice Guy. This is what we get for starting late. I know, We're it's my tired. fault. It's my fault, dude. <laughs> but it is one of those things where um, if the if the returns, so if it turns out that uh, that data is being gathered uh, on children by Disney and being sold to advertisers, um, the best defense that they could mount um, after that would be, well, it was incidental which which would probably fly if we were talking about adults incidental data gathering well we didn't really mean to gather it it was just something that kind of happened has flown in the past 
when we are talking about the information about adults. But because there's such a higher standard being put for the protection of children, if it does is found out that there was data being sold and it was from these children's applications, the it was incidental, we weren't purposefully gathering it, we weren't targeting it, this data specifically to gather from children, will not fly in a court. And no, they will get... And they will get hit hard. Hard. Because, yeah. So so it's interesting. We'll keep our eyes on it as it develops. But that's just, uh, but that's just something that, uh, I don't know, could spell some big trouble for Disney. That's right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that's pretty much our show. Two Nerds in a Pod, episode number 40. Thank you for tuning in. I don't know why I paused right before I said that. <laughs> uh, guys, we'd like to do one last thing before we end the show. It's our final segment where you get to interact with us, where we talk about what we've been watching and what we've been playing. That's the name of the segment. While we're talking about our nerdy media and games we've been into, we want to hear from you in the chat because we're always looking for new cool stuff to check out. So let us know here live what you're playing, what you're watching. If you're listening after the fact, just shout it out loud on the bus, in your car, on a private jet, wherever you're at. Just shout it out. Mac, now, Mr. You, nice Guy, can I go first? I was going to say, Mac, do you want to get us started off? Go for it. I do, because I want you to be proud of me. I'm watching Madam Secretary. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. What do you think? Um, I really enjoy it so far. Taya Leone is fantastic, as she is in everything. I like several of the other of the other actors and actresses in the, uh, now, in the series. Here's the million-dollar question. Mm-hmm. Are you watching it with the missus? The missus is nearby. She is adjacent as I watch it. However, right now, the missus has a lot on her plate, so she doesn't have much time to slow down and actually watch television. Okay, understand. So she's usually doing other things while it's going on. Um, so I am wife adjacent when watching. The reason Although I ask is Although it would be disingenuous know, to say that we were watching it together. Fair enough. The reason I ask is because, as you, you know, I know your wife very well. I had several classes with her in college. I consider both of you to be dear friends. And I know that she likes debate. I know mm-hmm. that she loves the art of debate. And so there's points in the show where there's debates between, you know, husband and wife about politics, about policy, um, and things like that. And so I thought that she would probably get a kick out of that because I know that she really does like to debate. Uh, and so, I don't know, maybe once she has more free time, she can get more into it uh, and uh, and see some of those political issues come up. But I'm glad you're watching it and I'm glad you're enjoying it. Mm-hmm. It is very good. Um, and that's pretty much it. I'm really excited for Defenders. That's coming out in a couple of days. I am going to binge the crap out of that. And then what about, um, have you been playing anything? Or do you want me to hop in and say uh, what I've been watching? Um, well, what I've been playing, I've been playing a little bit of Sundered, um, and that's been enjoyable. Also, using a mod on Steam um, called Synergy, I've been playing Half-Life 2 with a friend. So we've been playing Half-Life 2 cooperatively, and it's been quite quite a bit of fun. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Like, that sounds like it would be a lot of fun. Oh, it really is. And thankfully, he's local, so we do it essentially couch co-op style. Dude, that's cool, man. I'm jealous. I mean, he can't feel the void in my heart left by our last couch co-op session. Dude, it was fun. It was fun. but But it's good nonetheless. Good. Very good. 
Well, cool. Now, as far as what I've been watching, uh, Wifey and I got into season five of Arrow. Uh, and it scratches. I was telling someone else this the other day. I like Flash and I like Arrow. They, they scratch different itches for me. Like, Flash has a little bit more comedic relief, comic relief. Um, Arrow has a lot more hand-to-hand combat. And so that's what I'm really getting into right now. It's just, the, you know, the fights, the action in Arrow. It's a less funny show. Um, but it, it just has really, really good action sequences. And the story is good, too. Um, so that's what I've been watching. And as far as what I have been playing, still just on that retro kick, man. Still been playing different mm-hmm. stuff on the retro pie. Uh, just downloaded Bucky O'Hare. When I went to that uh, that um, arcade in Seattle, I got a bunch of ideas for games to put on the Retro Pie. So I did that. Uh, I've been doing a lot of Galaxian and some Space Invaders, getting into that old school stuff. Uh, and then, you know, as far as upcoming games, we got Uncharted coming. We got Destiny coming all within the next three weeks. So there's, there's no shortage of things to play. Uh, that that are coming up. Well, Mac, do you want to read what our people have been playing in the chat? What the viewers have been into? Absolutely. So on the uh, on the watching front, we have Star Trek Enterprise season two, Scrapped Princess, Knights and Magic, and Area, um, Game of Thrones, and Veep. As for games, we have uh, oh, and I missed a uh, Pokemon movies. That's good stuff too. I wanna be the very best. <laughs> um, as for playing, we see some Stardew Valley, some Observer, um, Nidhog Two, and West of Loathing. Um, most of those I've never heard of, so they are. Thank you guys. They are on our list to take a look at once we're done with our backlog. I don't know what Nig Nid Nidhog Two is. That sounds. I I think it's a I think it's a a combat game. I think it's primarily based around combat, or maybe I'm thinking of something else. But, um, but it does sound like an interesting name, doesn't it? It really does. And ob- and clearly, it has a, it's the sequel to a previous one, so the first one must have been good enough. Dude, it'd be cool if someone once made a game named number two, and there was no previous version. Dude, I want to be the first person to do it. I think you should. I think, I I think you must. I think you owe it to the world. Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah, just trolling in game titles. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that has been episode number 40 of Two Nerds in a Pod. We're on our way to episode 100. We're 40% of the way there. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you had fun tonight, please hit us up on iTunes, leave a rating, like, subscribe. Uh, Mac, you got anything else you want to say to the people? You guys are the greatest viewers on Twitch. We appreciate you joining us and making this show what it is. We'll see you next week. Same bat place, same bat time, same bat rhymes. Keep it nerdy.